It is great to be here today, and I think Kevin did pretty well. I wrote that for him just a little while ago. I really appreciate him reading it right. No, we've been, we've been good friends for a long time. He's one of my favorite people on the planet, and uh, our families kind of grew up together. We, we planted our church at, uh, uh, in that same facility over there in 1993. And uh, so we've kind of known them a long time. Our boys played ball together and all that stuff, and uh, they're still close. And so they're special people. And uh, whenever, if I ever had a big problem, Kevin would definitely be one of the first people I called. He is solid as they come. And uh, so it's, a, it's an honor to be here today. I haven't been in this building uh, since it was dedicated. I got to come do the dedication uh, a few years back, and uh, it looks good. It looks good to see more people in it. And uh, you've all survived COVID, and, and I'm so thankful COVID has cured the flu. <laughs> Heart disease, cancer, wiped them all out. It's awesome. And uh, I'm about done with it. How many of you are done with it? Yeah, I'm done with it. Um, but, all, man, all over the world, I mean, that's the reason Kevin had to come back was basically the outbreak over there and, you know, just abundance of caution. But... Uh, it's affected everything. I go to Africa every year, and, and those people are all shut down over there, but the government's just trying to control them. That's what's going on there. They haven't hardly had any deaths over there. Uh, so it's a pretty crazy time. And uh, one of the things I want to just say to you and, and as I begin today is I really uh, feel like this is deja vu for me. Uh, I grew up in times that were kind of crazy like this too. The 60s and the 70s were uh, pretty tumultuous in this country. And we had riots, we had people dying on the streets, we had uh, a war that was not going well, and needless deaths, and a great divide between the generations. And, and uh, at the same time, you know, you either were into free love and, and the Woodstock era, but the other thing that happened during that time of real, just, you know, just basically anarchy in our country was the Lord poured out His Spirit on the country. I was, I was part of that. I got saved during the Jesus movement uh, back in the early 70s. And uh, two million people came to know Jesus in that time. The work of God in the country just catapulted. You couldn't hardly find a three or, three or 400 member church back in those days. And Chuck Smith started a Bible study outside of his little church in Costa Mesa. And uh, pretty soon that, that congregation of 200 had to buy a tent for 14,000. I remember being on the beach at Santa Cruz one day when a guy threw down an orange crate in the sand and got up and started telling his testimony. 500 people gave their hearts to Jesus and got baptized in the surf, just like that. So we're, we're headed into a time like that. So don't despair. The church is trying to be canceled. We, will, we refuse to be canceled. We are not going to be canceled. In fact, the craziness that's afoot right now is going to give rise to the greatest revival in your lifetimes. Mark my words, it's going to happen. Scripture tells us that he's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. Sons and daughters are going to be prophesying. Old men are going to be having dreams. Young men are going to be having visions. I'm planning to have visions myself. <laughs> but the bottom line of this thing is that we're not, oh, it's not over till it's over. And when it's over, there's going to be a crescendo of people coming into the kingdom. So we need to be not hunkering down, hiding, letting, letting ourselves be canceled. We need to open our mouth wide and watch the Lord fill it. It's going to be cool. And so just be encouraged. This is God's hour. Uh, we don't pay too much attention to the politics of it all. It's all insane right now. But the Lord is wisdom. 
and he's going to give wisdom to those that ask. So I encourage you to be full of him and be ready to roll. Uh, I want to share something with you today. I've entitled it Vessel Care 101, and it, hopefully this will make sense before long. Uh, the passage of scriptures that we're going to be dealing with today are 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, and 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, 20 and 21. And to give you a synopsis, basically, uh, years ago, when I was a young believer, before I'd been off to Bible college or anything, I was, I was in a ministry in California, and, and uh, we were right in the big middle of all the things that were going on out there. It was amazing. But I, I was invited to speak at a uh, citywide meeting in the, in the city of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And when I arrived there, I don't know if you've ever been in this place, you, you were invited to do something that was above your pay grade. And I, I, f I found myself sitting on the hotel bed there and just thinking to myself, I am in over my head here. I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to be talking to this, this large group of people. And I, I, I really felt incapable, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm not given to public speaking as a, as a natural gift. And uh, so it was a lot of pressure. And I remember I, I was just kind of frightened out of my mind, to be honest. And the Lord reminded me, I guess, when I was praying. And, you know, it's funny how when you pray, things happen. Have you noticed that? Try it. You'll like it. The, the, uh, the thing the Lord dropped in my mind that day was a little pamphlet. And I happened to have it somewhere. I'd stuck it somewhere. You know, people always giving you stuff uh, when you're a pastor and you need to read this and so forth. And so I, I stuck it in somewhere. I think it was in the back of my Bible. And I pulled it out. And the title of it was God in a Styrofoam Cup. It was written by a well-known pastor at the time, and the whole gist of it was this, that God's message is the central focus, not the vessel. You know, you drink from a styrofoam cup, you crush it, throw it away. And basically, that is the analogy of the scripture that I want to share with you today. For sometimes we take ourselves a bit too seriously, and maybe not seriously enough in some ways, but it's not who we are, it's who's in us. And that, to me, is so exciting. I'm qualified for whatever he asks me to do because he's the resource, not me. I happen to be the vessel. So let me read you just uh, one verse out of those, and I'll read some of the others later on, maybe. But chapter uh, 4 of 2 Corinthians, verse 7, says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. And I'll... Again, hopefully flesh this out for you. One of the things about Bible interpretation that's so key is that we need to learn what it meant so we can apply it to today. In order to do that, we have to do what one of my Bible college professors used to tell us. He says, your job as a pastor or teacher of the Word or someone that shares the Word is to put yourself, first of all, into the sandals of the prophet that received the Word from God. And then secondly, preach it in such a way that the sandals of the person listening, the person in those sandals could understand it. So it has to be in context to, to life. We have a number of contexts we pay attention to in biblical hermeneutics and so forth, but that, that's one, the historical context. Secondly, we have the linguistic context, which is the natural language that was used during that time. What does it mean? What did it mean to them? 
And thirdly, the, 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 the context of the entire Scripture. And the, the, the study of vessels runs all the way through the Bible. We see often the analogy of the potter and the clay being applied to us and to the Lord. And so this, this message today is about that. I want to put you in the sandals of the, of the audience just for a few moments today of what, when they read that, <clears throat> when that, that epistle was delivered to them, they, what they would have thought. Inside most homes at the time in the Middle East, they didn't, of course, didn't have running water, so you can imagine they had to bring water in. And inside the home of the people of this congregation would probably have been a little a low table just inside the front entrance. And on that table, there would be two clay pots that are totally identical. And those two pots have names. And if you'll turn in your Bibles, and I, maybe you have a device, or it'll be on the, on the screen. I'm, I've been preaching long enough that I, I, feel, I feel frustrated and, and in, uncomfortable when I don't hear pages turning. So I'm like the pastor I heard the other day. He said, I hope someone comes up with an app that sounds like pages turning. <laughs> so, but anyway, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, says the following. But in the great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful to the master, prepared for every good work. On the table, these two vessels had names. The first was the vessel for honor. The second, the vessel for dishonor. They're identical. They were created for the same purpose. The vessel for honor, if I could start there, uh, the vessel for honor was uh, a vessel that simply went to the well each day. Since water would have to be gathered or taken daily, uh, because they had no refrigeration or anything to keep it fresh, they would send the ladies to the well and same, same as today, the ladies did all the work in the house. And so uh, they, they'd go with this big vessel. This thing was probably 20 to 24 inches tall. It was kind of beautifully shaped and had a large mouth. I'm not talking about the ladies. I'm talking about the, the vessel. Uh, and, and they would go to the well each day and dip that vessel into the water and then put it on their shoulder or on their head and bring it home. They carried another vessel with them typically, which would have been a cup. Because since you couldn't just go to Dairy Queen or the, you know, the Quick Stop or somewhere to get a, something to drink, uh, a lot of times people were traveling and they were coming through town and it's kind of desert climate many times of the year. And they would literally see someone carrying a vessel of water and maybe it was slopping a little bit. Maybe you know, they could see what was in there. And, and they would literally ask if they could get a drink. And so the, the woman would let the vessel down and pour a drink and, and nourish someone. And a beautiful picture of witnessing. Because we all should, always should stand ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. What are we carrying? Are we carrying anything that would make someone thirsty? We, we call ourselves Christians, but do we just have a doctrine or do we have a relationship? Do we have fruit in our lives or just doctrinal statements? It's such a beautiful picture. And this vessel of honor was known for its giving out nature. And when it came home, it was sat in the, 
on the, on the first place you come into when you come into the house, and there it sat, and the cup sat there by it, so anyone could pour a drink at any time. It was just what they did for hospitality. Beside it was an identical vessel. It used to go to the well, but now it just sits and receives leftover water from the one that does. One of my great pains or hungers or however you'd want to express it as being a pastor for all these years, I, I know that a lot of times the people that I'm preaching to haven't so much as cracked the word open all week long. They, they come because the pastor has to bring them a word. And I, I get that, and I, that's what we're called to do for sure. But how much better if your vessel still goes to the well every day? He called it daily bread, and, and it's a washing of the water of the word, this thing that happens to us when we open God's word with an open heart and prayer and worship and in our own personal life, and, and he just washes over us and cleanses us. There's renewal that goes on. But if we ever get into that place where we sit, soak, and sour, we're in trouble. And that's what happens to the vessel of dishonor. The vessel of dishonor lives on secondhand water. It lives on water that's come from some other source. And it's one step removed away from fresh. Or might I add, personal. You got it given to you from someone else. And, and that may not mean as much to you as if the Lord spoke it to you directly. And you know in your spirit, when, you, when that word came through your mind, that was the Lord. I, I know that. I just feel that. I just know that that was for me. There's something that happens, and faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And I don't mean just words on a screen, or I'm talking about the rhema of God, which means the spoken word for the moment. This is something that we all need. It's critical. Faith does not come by, by a statement that, that just, we just believe necessarily. It comes when God speaks it into the human spirit. In the beginning, God said, let there be light, and light happens. The Holy Spirit was brooding there, and God spoke a word into that moment, and creation happened, and everything came from that. That process is still going on. And so we need to understand that every time we open the Word of God, we're not just looking for, for words on a page. We're looking for the Word of God to us as a human individual. Yes, we hold it in context with everything else. That's part of the deal. But the bottom line of it is He wants to pour into us every day. So that nothing sets up in our life that shouldn't be there. You see, the vessel for dishonor has been basically relegated to menial things. It was meant to go to the well. It was meant to bear life-giving things. But now, what it has in it is just used for menial things. It's important things, certainly. And... You know, the cleaning of the house, the washing of the dishes, and all those things happen with that particular kind of water. But the problem is that the staleness of what that, that vessel uh, had or what it contained has a deteriorating process because the bacteria that forms after a few hours and certainly from several days uh, begins to seep into the pores of that clay. And before very long, it starts giving off a certain odor to it uh, that's not palatable, and you really don't want to be around it. Um, I, I can tell you that, that I see that in, in people and in, in congregations 
from time to time. And it's, it's kind of sad to see somebody that used to have vibrancy and life and joy uh, come to be bitter and kind of ugly in spirit. And they, they, when they enter a room, they kind of bring something with them, if you know what I mean. And, and they attract people just like them. And it's, it's, it's a hard thing to watch. And we've all been there probably the seasons of our life, you know. I'm not looking at people here that haven't, that haven't gone through some things. And there's disappointments and disillusionments and there's, there's heartbreak and there's, there's treachery and all kinds of things going on in our world. And sometimes that can get into the, to the, the core of who we are. It begins to seep into us. And so that we begin to smell like that and act like that and reproduce like that. And, and so I'm just saying this is a natural process that we have to know there is a cleansing that can happen to get us back to the place where the well is where we belong and where we go frequently and we bear life. Um, the third thing is that like most things in life, it doesn't just stay at that one particular spot. It can get worse if it's not dealt with. And so there's a third vessel. It no longer is allowed in the house because it smells the place up. In fact, it's called by Jeremiah the abominable vessel or a vessel without pleasure. And this vessel was again designed, looks just like the other vessels, and although it shows some stuff on the outside now, uh, the, the, the mold and all the things that happened. And, and it used to go to the well. The potter, when he released it to the couple to, to use, it went to the well for years, and then it went through this process. And now it's only used to contain garbage and sits outside. We see that often in churches as well, folks that just kind of get out of fellowship because they've, they've been a, become a repository for things that they shouldn't have allowed, and they, they get ugly and bitter and so forth and so on, and, and they kind of are out of, out of fellowship. And here's the good news. This is not inevitable. It does not have to happen. And if it does, at whatever stage that we see, you know, there's just something not right with my relationship. There's not just something not like it used to be in the beginning. And, and I, I, I need to return to my first love. There's, there's, there's this thing that can happen because the potter is still there. And, and somebody that sees this, this condition in the vessel would take the vessel back to the potter that created it. And he would examine it first of all, and he'd say, yeah, there's, there's my mark right there. I remember this. I remember you when you were a young couple because typically when a young couple would begin to set up housekeeping, they would come to the potter's shack. They couldn't go to Target. They couldn't go to Walmart. They couldn't go wherever and get their stuff. And so they had, they'd go to the potter, and the potter would ask them. It's kind of like a ceremony, actually. They, he would ask them questions about their purpose for their vessel and, and so forth. And, and he'd say, ah, yes, you need a vessel for honor. And he would talk about the vessel for honor and what it would do and what it would bring to the house and so forth and so on. And, and he would give them this vessel and they'd go home with, you know, that in mind. And so he would look at this vessel and the condition it's in now and he knows it's not going to work at the well anymore. And he has some remedies at his disposal. The first of which is a piece of pumice stone, which if you're familiar with pumice stone, it's a volcanic rock that's very porous and very abrasive. And he would literally take that stone and uh, after examination, he would reach down into that vessel and just begin to ream it out. I mean, literally take a layer of clay off and get rid of that because that stuff gets into the pores and, and it really is impossible to get out any other way. And so he would ream it out. <clears throat> 
ream out around the edges because the edges were first because it was being handled. And, I, you know, I, I remember thinking about this of being peopled. You know, if you're a pastor, you're going to get peopled sooner or later. And you can begin to get a little crusty around the mouth. And you can, you can have some issues that come because of, of handling that happens. Can you say amen? You, you're, are you allowed to say amen in here? Well, you might want to say it right there. Uh, the bottom line of this thing is that life leaves a deposit. But thankfully, the potter is not going to give up on this vessel. It was clay when he got a hold of it. And he formed it. His hands never left the wheel until he formed it as he wanted it to be. And then he, he, he put it in the kiln and, and, and he presented these people with a finished product that was, had one purpose. Go to the well and bring back life-giving water to all. But now, this thing is polluted. It's showing signs of deterioration. So he reams it out on the inside. But that can't get everything. So he throws it back in the kiln. Heats it up. Thing sits in there for a while. And he gets it out. Then he performs a test. And that test is interesting. He sets the vessel down. And after it's cooled, he literally flips the, the mouth of it with his finger. And it's going to make one of two sounds. Either it's going to what they call sing, kind of a high resonance sound. That tells him the process has been complete. The vessel is ready to go back into, into service. Or it lands with a thud, which makes him know that in the process, in the fire, something has broken. Something has cracked. And this vessel is going to leak. It's not going to work. And... Let me just say this about the fire. You may today sit right here and, and say, I'm, I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to stop this, or I'm going to be this, or I'm going to go uh, further with God, or whatever the Lord might convict you of. And I will, pros- I will promise you this, that that is only the beginning of the process. Sooner or later, you go into fire. You may be somebody that uh, has a tendency to gossip a little bit. I heard there were churches somewhere that had that problem. Maybe it's here. <laughs> and here, here's what it's going to look like. You're going to say, oh, I'm just going to have to shut that relationship down. I can't, I can't be talking about this all the time with this person. I can't, I can't be sharing. And, and sure enough, you're going to get a phone call. And someone's going to lay on you the most powerful, juicy gossip you've heard in five years. And you're going to feel just duty-bound to share it with a few close friends. That's the fire. Are you going to sing? Or are you going to thud? Are you going to give in to that? Or are you going to let the fire wash over you and burn you clean? That's what happens. So the testing is part of the restoration. But let's say that there's a failure. <clears throat> let's say that, that it's a failure that's noticeable. Let's, let's say that, that you, do, you can't seem to contain the water. Everything seems to leak out. You, you're just not able to be what you're supposed to be. 
Well, there's, there's another remedy at the hands of the potter that he will employ because his goal is not to just throw you away. Out, out in back of the, of the potter's shack, there probably is a, is a pile of pottery. There's another name for that pottery. It's broken. It's useless. It's done. It's called vessels for wrath. Find that in Romans chapter 9. And so we have this picture there. If you're looking through his back window, you're seeing these vessels out here that didn't do well in the process. There's, a, there's an element of the fear of God here. We need to understand some things. That God has almost limitless mercy. But ultimately, the wrath of God is a, is, a, is a big deal. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So we don't take it lightly that God's merciful and forgives and keeps forgiving and He's faithful to forgive and so forth. So we have that kind of as a backdrop. But the, the potter seems undisturbed. He sees it's got a crack in it. He sees it's serious. And maybe, and maybe the person's watching him do what he does, and they feel like, I guess this is a done deal. I guess we're going to have to, you know, forget about this one. But the potter has two things on his, on his bench. The first is a vial of, of blood. It has a little brush in there, and, and, and it's, a, it's blood that comes from uh, an insect called the fakusa, which lives on the, the neck of bulls in the Middle East. And, and it's kind of viscous. It's kind of sticky. And, and he takes that and he, he finds the crack on the vessel and he, he puts that as far into the crack as he possibly can and, and daubs it in there and, and makes sure there's an, an abundance of it there to cover this place. And then he puts it back. Well, another thing he does too is there's something else on the, on the bench. It's called dust. It's pottery fragments that have been ground to a fine, fine uh, level, and, and he mixes that all together and puts that paste in that, in that opening. And, you know, the thing that has always occurred to me is the dust talks to us about humanity, talks to us about the basics of who we are. And the beautiful thing about this to me is that the Lord himself was tempted in every way like you and I. Can you imagine that? Think of your temptations and your fears and things that would hold you back. The Lord Jesus was tempted in every way like we are, yet without sin, so that he could become a faithful high priest to those who are touched by any kind of trouble. There's nothing you can go through that Jesus can't understand, at least at, a, at, some, at some level, because he became a man, and he suffered just like you, he dealt with temptation just like you do. And I think that this is, is appropriate in this analogy because the, that is part of the mix here. Yes, you have redemptive blood, but yes, you also have a basis in the earth that, that bonds with us. And he puts that into that crack, and back it goes into the kiln. And it happens maybe several times before this thing works. But finally, when he gets it out, he flips the, 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 the mouth of the vessel and it sings and he knows it's ready to go back. And so it can go back to the well. I love this analogy. Think of it. This vessel that has not been to the well for some time now goes back to the well, welcome to be there, fully capable of bearing life-giving water again, but it has something the other vessels may not have. It has a scar. It has a place. How big or small, it doesn't matter. But it has a place that tells everybody, I've been restored. 
I just think of that because there's so many people that when they've blown it or when they've kind of fallen away from the Lord, they say, I just guess this is the way it is. But there are some that get fixed. And when they do, their story is on their lips. I was lost. I was gone. I was a done deal. But now I can share life again. I can, I can enjoy the Lord again. I can be fulfilled. I can be fruitful. I can, I can be part of his kingdom. I can be, you know, it's exciting to know that that forgiveness was given to you. That restoration was given to you. And the cool thing about it is there's going to be other people around the well. There's going to be other vessels that are, that are headed for problems. And they're going to see your scar and know if he would do it for you, he can do it for me. I love that. Years ago, I had been studying the book of Nehemiah, and it's one of my favorites. And, and I had uh, come to this part where they were talking about the rubble is so much that we can't build. There were, their enemies were attacking. They were being tormented by uh, demonic forces. And, and they just, all they could see was the rubble around them. I remember being in Zimbabwe at the time and, and seeing what, what had happened to that society over there. And, and they were literally dealing with something like that. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, the rubble is the resource. I thought, wow, that's, that's interesting. The rubble is the resource. And, and then I read about in one place where the, they're throwing stones. That, you know, that when they burned the city, the limestone cracked in the flames. And so many of them were scorched and broken apart. And they just tumbled down into the valley. The Kidron Valley goes way deep if you've ever been there. And so they were literally picking up stones that had been under the brush and, and lost from sight for a long, long time and obviously lost their usefulness. But the, the fact that the rubble was the resource caused them to bring all of those things back and build a wall that was intricate because these are irregular shaped pieces. And I remember standing on a high point by a restaurant there in Jerusalem and looking down one day and seeing this, this structure it was sort of a wall. It was about that, about that wide, it seemed like, in that spot. And it was many times wider than that in, in, in ancient times, I believe. But there was one little section that was pretty wide. And, and, but it was made up of stones just stuck in places. And, and, and they were all holding together still after 2,500 years. And I thought to myself, what a testimony. These pieces that were junked. These pieces that were, that were literally there in the shape they were in because of destruction that had come to them by God's judgment even. And here they are laying in pieces and no longer useful, useful, useful in any way. They're useless because they have left their first estate. Something happened here. Something was broken here. This is a tragedy, a testimony now, but a tragedy before because now they stand again. And some of those stones still had the burn marks on them from, from that fire so long ago when their enemies took, took down their city. And I thought to myself, that one stone right there is saying, you knocked me down, you burned me up, but you can't take me out. Here I stand. By the grace of God, here I stand. I'm in the wall. And he regained new usefulness. It was a great story. And I just want to say to you today that some of the most powerful people, some of the greatest ministries that you'll ever see or hear come because people 
have sanctified their scars. They shared how God redeemed them. You know, when Jesus went to heaven after he was killed, there's only one thing he took with him. His scars. And when he showed back up, he said to his disciples, and part of whom were pretty much freaked out and not believing what was going on, he said, you know, you're there. You remember? Remember the spikes? Remember the spear? Put your hand in here. See that I'm, I'm here. Your scars matter. Your scars are a testimony. Your scars, when sanctified and given back to the Lord and healed, that mark on you tells everybody you made it. A scar wouldn't heal if you died. It wouldn't be a scar. A scar says you made it. I would encourage everybody, don't wear your story on your sleeve, but tell your story. Your story encourages other people that have fallen or are in the process of falling or think they're useless and think God doesn't care about them. You may feel like the stone that was thrown in the brush a long, long time ago by an enemy. That I'm here to tell you today that your story matters and your story is more relevant than somebody else's story. It's called a testimony. And your testimony is powerful. And it's, it's evidence that God is at work today. And, and if he worked for you, he'll do the same thing for somebody else. You know, the, the story of, of those vessels has stayed with me for, for a long, long time. Because, you know, a lot of, a lot of things are happening to, to people if they're in, in the kingdom of God. A lot of us are feeling oppression. Because the enemy does not want you to be able to be open with your faith. He does not want you to be vibrant in the times when other people are not. How many of you understand there's a shaking going on right now? Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. So that, that which cannot be shaken and will remain. The Lord very much wants you to survive your shaking. He wants you to stand on that shaking and declare these glorious works. He wants you to be able to tell your story so that people that have a situation much like yours gain hope and gain peace and gain encouragement and get momentum again to follow after the Lord. Go to the well because every day the well flows. Every day the well brings fresh things. The kingdom of God is not static. We're not standing around looking in the rearview mirror for direction. God is speaking in the moment. He's equipping in the moment. His grace is sufficient to take us where we need to go. And may I suggest to you an attitude in the going. I'm going to go back to the original scripture that we, that we spoke on uh, first in 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, it gives us some attitudinal things that I just want to point out to us real quick. It says, therefore, since we have this ministry, and, and if you look at the, at the verses before it, you'll find out what it's there for. Uh, because he's talking there about the light of God coming and, and it coming to us and us having an unveiled face so that we can see what he's doing. And it says, therefore, seeing that we have received this ministry, past tense, given to us at a point in time past, still belongs to us today. As we have received mercy, 
we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth or showing of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. This is huge. Too many people are trying to present themselves in a way uh, that they think they should or, or, or be someone they're not. Here's the deal. Let's just get in love with Jesus and just be who we are. Manifest it that way. It's, it's personal. I don't, I don't have to be like somebody else to be legit. I need to be legit to become who I'm supposed to be. And this whole process is such a, a pressure reliever. So many of us are living our lives to please other people. And, you know, it's not going to work. Authenticity is the coin of the realm today. Authenticity. Man, we've got so many people making a show of things that, that are not real. Uh, every political season, it makes me sicker and sicker. I just can't stand it. Because they say one thing and they totally forget it as soon as they get elected. And it's a mess. But wouldn't it be wonderful if God's people were the one place people could understand what you see is what you get? Manifest it. Manifest it. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age is blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves. Now say that again. We do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. I'm talking about a no-pressure kind of life. I'm talking about a place where I go to the well and I get something that ministers to me and I'm free to minister it to someone else without worrying what they think of me. The Spirit of God inside of you is the most authentic thing in history. He was there in the darkness and the void of space. And into his custody, God sent his word. And light became. And that light has been given to us to manifest. I'm mixing metaphors here. But the truth of the matter is that we're carrying something that originated a long time ago. God speaking into the earth. Today, you and I are equipped. We're mandated. And God has no alternate plan. He wants to fill us with himself. He wants to repair us when we need repairing. And he wants to invite us to an amazing feast at the well. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't been a Bible reader frequently and you don't, you know, you kind of wait to church to pick up a Bible and blow the dust off of it and hear Pastor Kevin preach, let me just encourage you. Get this thing out. Open it up. 
pray, Lord, let the Holy Spirit that inspired the prophet to write this, let it rest on my mind, let it rest on my heart, and let it feed me today. And you will be amazed at how personal it gets. I speak to you as if you're not doing it. Many of you are doing it. But I know how easy it is. I'm a pastor. Been doing it for 40 years. I can tell you. It's easy to get to the place where you just preach or you study to preach or you read to preach or you, or you read so that you're conversant with what everybody's talking about. That's not going to get it. There's something for you. It's hiding. It's hiding in here. I wonder what he has to say. I wonder what he would empower if we just make sure we go to the well.